Good, okay. Say this with me. Say this. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Okay, so how many new, or uh, excuse me, minor prophets are there? Twelve. And how many major prophets are there? Four. And I want us to learn them in order, in order that they appear in the Bible. You realize they're not in chronological order, right? But let's just learn them uh, as we go. Part of church sometimes is being sort of classroom-like, and so I want us to learn them, but but then also after that, I want us to look for Jesus, even, not even, but look for Jesus in the minor prophets. So Hosea, say that, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Okay, that's the first three, and that's what we're going to have covered. I'm going to do start doing Amos tonight. But somebody come up with some cute mnemonic or uh, come up with a cute song, and we'll We'll learn it together. Um, <clears throat> I've given you this. This is going to be very helpful. Uh, this is going to be very helpful. I don't know if it'll be helpful on the screen, but that's why we printed it too. And also, if you can find one of these, this is going to be invaluable to you. There's one on the back place back there, and you can copy it. But what it is, it's a timeline of the kings and the prophets. And this is, if you don't have this, put this in your Bible. If you need it, we'll email it to you or whatever. Uh, it's invaluable. And I want us to learn, thank you so much, I want us to learn about each of the prophets. And so in order to do that, at least for me, who likes to learn, I have to distinguish them somehow. So tonight, listen, 16 prophets. Here's the first way we're going to distinguish the prophets. And in order to do this, you're going to need to know one word, exile. So there are the pre-exilic prophets. What would that mean? Somebody guess, what would that mean? That means pre-exilic, they prophesied prior to the exiles. Wow, are we smart, huh? Exilic prophets during the exile, wow, is she smart. And post-exilic prophets who prophesied after the exile. Seriously, I think if we start with that categorization, uh, it's going to help us. But now that's going to make you know at least three dates. D-A-T-E-S, dates. The first date you're going to... Who was the first king of Israel? Who was the second king? Who was the third king? Who was the fourth king? And that's where it gets tricky. Because after Solomon, it split. The kingdom split. So I need you to know this first date. Write it down. Do whatever you have to do to remember this. 930 or so B.C. Some people say, well, anyway, just put 930. 930, 931 B.C. is the kingdom splits. You need to know that. And then you need to know the two sort of, when you say exilic prophets, you're talking about 586 B.C., but you still need to know when the northern kingdom or Israel was exiled, but they, they weren't really exiled because they were just torn out and taken away. What year was that? did that happen? Around 722 B.C. So you need to know this date. 930 B.C., kingdom splits. 722 B.C., Assyria takes out the ten northern tribes. And you have to know this date, right, Rachel? I mean, you have to know this date. If you don't know this date, 
you know, you're just so lost. But you really are, because this date is the date of the Old Testament, and it's 586 B.C. Need to know that date. That's the date of the exile of the southern kingdom of Judah to Babylon. And you see, you need to know that because if I said, who are the exilic prophets? You'd go, oh, that's easy. Daniel was in the court of the Babylons prophesying he's an exilic prophet. Guess who else was there at the time? Ezekiel. Ezekiel was there at the time, and he was uh, doing that as well. Well, anyway, listen, we are finding ourselves here in Amos. Let's just say this. Write this down. This is a pre-exilic prophet. And how do I know that? Because me and, or you and I are going to read it right now in Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1. Here it is. The words of Amos, verse 1, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Two years before the earthquake. You go, wow, that's a lot of information. So let's dissect it here a little bit. The words of Amos, Amos means burdened or burden. In other words, this man, Amos, who we know some, you know, some information about, had a burden. The Lord gave him a burden. What it is, it's such a blessing when the Lord gives you a burden. A burden for people, a burden for a ministry, a burden, wait, listen, this is a good thing. Sometimes when we hear the word burden, I think we get frightened a little bit. But do you know how freeing it is to know that you know that you know that you're doing the thing that God called you to? Isn't that, you know what I'm saying? You know what it, uh, you know what it uh, helps against? Do you know what it, it gives to you? It just gives you a sense of uh, stability. It gives you a sense of, you, you know one thing it does completely? Uh, it gives you a sense of no jealousy. Like, for instance, I got to tell you, I would love to be able to play some of these instruments up here. I can't. And, you know, some people spend their whole Christian life worried about what they can't do and are less worried about what they can do. Here you go. You got this man named Amos. He was burdened for the Lord. See, it's just a freeing thing to know what God has called you to do. Uh, uh, you, I'll just take my life just because, not because I'm uh, trying to spout off, but it's just what I know. I'm so blessed to be in little West Elizabeth, PA. I mean, here in this little sliver of Pittsburgh that, quite frankly, for you know, 10, uh, 10, 15 years of living in Pittsburgh, I didn't even know existed. And I lived four miles away. And I'm so blessed to be here. You know, you sometimes... You think, uh, you know, I, I've told you when you go to pastor's conferences and things like that, you know, they always ask you how big your congregation is and how big your church is. And I got to tell you, the Lord just busted me early on about that. Who cares? I mean, here's what we're after is building disciples and making disciple makers. And so that they'll go out this way, not this way. 
and make our church whatever when we want to just do everything for the glory of the Lord. And I'm burdened that way, and I know you are too, so I'm not bragging on me. But what I'm saying is that's what the Lord's given me a burden for. When my feet hit the floor, you see, I know what I've been called to do, and it's freeing. And so many of you, you you know what you're called to do. You know where you're called to be. And you don't get jealous about other people within the body. No, you're happy about them and you pray for them. Here, Amos is burdened. Amos is such, if you'll read and read and think and study, it's such a freeing book. And here's why. I want you to see something. Here's Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa. Tekoa is just a little bit south and just a little bit west of Bethlehem. It's about 10 to 12 miles away from Bethlehem. It's not very uh, far from Jerusalem. But see, he, if you know anything about where Bethlehem is, Bethlehem now is you're going south from Jerusalem, you're going south from Jerusalem, and I think you have it here on your map. Uh, I don't know if Tekoa is in there, it probably is. Yeah, as you're going there in your map, um, you're going to the south. Guess what you're getting real close to? The Judean desert. You're getting close to the desert. There, when you hit Tekoa and you're moving down towards Hebron and Ziph and Arad there on your sheet, you're right in the Judean desert. And now I tell you that because here's this man who is a sheep breeder of Tekoa. Now, I want you to turn with me real quick over to chapter 7. And we're going to get a little bit more biographical information about Amos. And it's in... uh, Verse 14, then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, Amaziah is the priest of the king. He's the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about where Bethel is. But listen to this biographical information that Amos says about himself. I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit, then the Lord took me as I followed. Look, look, when did the Lord take him as he followed the flock? When did God call him? Where did God call him? What was he doing? What was he doing? He was doing his job, right? He was taking care of the sheep. He was just working. I mean, he wasn't up on some mountain with some, you know, magic fairy dust in the air. He was doing the mundane Boring, if you want to say it. They're not boring, but the things of life. He was following around a whole bunch of sheep, folks. And I want you to see something. He says it here. You know, if you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, there's a school of prophets that are in the area of Israel and Judah. There's a school of prophets. Remember this? Elijah and Elijah and the school of prophets. Remember? Guess what he says? I didn't even go to school for this. I didn't get trained in any of this. I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't a son of prophet. I didn't grow up in a family of prophets. I I wasn't around this stuff. I'm just a person who herds the sheep, who tends the sheep. That's all I am. And I was, I'm a person who picks the fruit. I mean, by the way, sycamore fruit in, in, in these times was a fruit for the people who didn't have a lot of funds. It was kind of the common fruit. And so here you are, you have a sheep breeder and a tender and a tender of the sycamore fruit, a guy who picks 
figs or whatever they are, and he's, he's a farmer-like. Well, that's fascinating to me, because when you look through the book of um, Amos, you're going to see, we're, we're going to come across it, you're going to see in many places where you can tell that this man was a great observer of the things of nature. Who here likes to be out in nature? Right? You like to be out in nature? You like to take hikes? Look at this. Just for instance, this is just one of many. It's, they, there's two or three or in, in almost every chapter. But go over to chapter 2. I mean, verse 13. Behold, I'm weighed down by you. Well, look, look how he says it. As a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. See, maybe to us that doesn't really matter anything because I don't have a cart at my house and I don't pick sheaves or gather in the sheaves very much. But to him, he did and he paid attention. And here's the reason I'm telling you this. Because you see, God grows you from a little boy or a little girl and you like certain things, you're inclined to them. I happen to like sports, you might happen to like music, maybe you like literature, I don't know, you like to, whatever. And maybe God's called you into this career, and I'm in this career. And as I look around, we all have different careers in here. And God's, fa but the, the beautiful thing is God's fashioning and molding you right where you are. And he's using the things that you participate in for his glory. And here's this man who is out in the desert. And some people would say this, why'd you stick me out here? It's smelly. I mean, I don't get to preach on Sunday and people don't look at me or I'm not a worship leader, but you got me out in the desert, man. And I'm around these sheep and there's, I'm lonely sort of, and I, I don't know, I don't even know why you have me here, Lord. And people can say that, and yet here this man was, he take, took full advantage of what he was doing. And the Bible tells us this, doesn't it? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, it was Corey Ten Boom's, I'm going to have to take my glasses off. It was Corey Ten Boom's favorite verse, or favorite part of Scripture. For you see uh, your calling, brethren, that not many according to their flesh, not many noble are called. Well, thanks, Lord. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things, do you know what base means? It's like just the simple, not complex. The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And when you look at the uh, uh, characters of the Bible, look at the characters of the Bible. I mean, okay, Abraham, he did have some money, but come on, folks. He was a worshiper of other gods, and God raised him up and used him. Well, that's weird. Moses, Moses, he's born into slavery. And the Lord turns it around, by the way, so that he frees everybody. Mind blown. But how does he do it? He takes him out in the desert for 40 years and he trains him up in the ministry and he talks to him and he walks with him. And, and you can imagine what Moses and Amos and Abraham and these men would do. David, 
you know it. He was a shepherd kid who was the eighth in the family. No one, I mean, even Samuel was like, yeah, well, I mean, there's some brothers here. We'll bring out the, well, what, you know, Samuel even wasn't even thinking Daniel. John the Baptist did his ministry out in the desert. Peter was grown up in a fishing boat. Paul was taken out into Arabia. And here's the reason I'm telling you that. You can, if the Lord has you in a place that you think's dry and arid, chafe against it and complain and be bitter. Or you can say like Amos did and pay attention. Or, or you can do like Amos did and pay attention. What is it, Lord, that you're doing here, not only in my life, but to me to be more Christ-like? Here, you're going to see it every chapter. He's going to, it's going to be something about this nature that he was in all the time that he paid attention to. And you can tell through his writings and the things that God prophesied to that this man knew the book of the Bible. He knew the Hebrew Old Testament. The Pentateuch, he knew the, not the Old Testament, he knew the first five books of the law. He knew the Torah. This man knew it. And, and so here he is out in the night times where he could be complaining. He's, you know, doing what he can to read the Bible in the mornings, all through the day as he's walking. He's praying with the Lord. He's walking. He's talking with the Lord. He's letting the Lord minister to him. And he's being strengthened, listen, in his weakness. And he's not complaining about it. And the Lord gives him a burden, which I think is a good thing. You know when you have a burden what you're to be doing. By the way, don't freak yourself out too much. The burden is always the same thing, just in different forms. Bear fruit that gives glory to God. Right? Bear glorious fruit and make disciples. When I say make, uh, bear glorious fruit, glorious means make big. So you have the fruit of the Lord in your life that you want to give to others or share with others that makes God big, and you want to make disciples. You want to win people to Christ and, and, and bring them along in Christ and then send them out. Don't keep them. So it, it's different, though, because I'm not a teacher or I'm not a whatever. I'm not a whatever we all are here. So mine's different than yours, but it's the same. <laughs> but it's so beautiful because here it is. God takes what you are, maybe has to take you out into the desert some, and it's where he teaches you and trains you. And then he brings you back for ministry with a burden. <laughs> And it's beautiful because he's been fashioning and crafting it all along and you had no idea. He takes the things that your hearts, you know, you like to do and you, you've been involved in and he just somehow fashions you so that you're using it for his glory. It's a beautiful thing. And here, this Amos, who is among the sheep herders of Tekoa, verse one, he sees concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, uh, the son uh, of uh, Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, the problem with that is we don't know when that earthquake was, except for the fact that Josephus refers to it in his writings. It's not a biblical fact. 
but it's probably, if you listen to Josephus, it occurs when Uzziah, Uzziah, King Uzziah, that's why it's handy to have this sheet, was struck by leprosy, which you find in 2 Corinthians 26. And that would be around 750 B.C. So now I'm going to quiz you. 750 B.C. Let's say Amos was writing around 750. Let's just say he was writing somewhere between 750 and 760 B.C. Everybody with me? Is that before or after the kingdom split? After. And let me ask you this. Is it before or after the time that the Assyrians come and take the northern kingdom? Before. It's before the time that the Assyrians come and take the northern kingdom. And so that's important because, uh, you know, this prophecy here is going to be, in the first two chapters, a prophecy against neighboring nations. That's why I gave you this. But then it shows you all the neighboring nations that he prophesies against. But guess what? At the end of that, and beginning into chapter 2, guess who the Lord turns his attention to? Judah. Where is Amos from? Judah or Israel, the northern kingdom? Judah. And where is the Lord sending him? Well, go back to chapter 7 real quick. And I'll explain it. Ooh, 744. We got to go. Look at this. In chapter, uh, oh, I'm getting really bad here. 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of, tell me it, Bethel. Guess what happened when the kingdom split, folks? When the kingdom split and you have Rehoboam, who is David's son, taking the southern kingdom. Rehoboam. Now, just stay with me here. But one of the servants of David got in a fight with Rehoboam, and his name was Jeroboam, but he wasn't a son of of Solomon. Did I say Solomon or David? Anyway, uh, I meant Solomon. So when the kingdom split, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, goes to the south. But a servant becomes king, and his name's Jeroboam. And guess what he does immediately? He goes to two places in the north, Bethel and Dan. And guess what he does there? He sets up areas with golden calves. Sound familiar? And he takes these two golden calves and he puts them up there, Dan and Bethel. Bethel's in the southern part of the northern kingdom. Dan's in the northern part of the northern kingdom. And he did it for a couple of reasons. One was convenience because the Bible says that all families had to go back to Jerusalem three times a year. Can you imagine walking from all the way up above that top body of water to Jerusalem with your family? And so what they did was they they put Dan way up there, Bethel and Dan. And they had these centers of worship in the north. Now hang on. (laughs) I want you to see what my man Amos had to do. Here you got this guy that hasn't been trained by the prophets. And he now, he's not going to go and prophesy against Jeroboam the first, the guy who set up the kingdoms. He goes and prophesies against Jeroboam the second 
in 750 or 760 BC. But just, just listen. He had to walk from Judah to Bethel into the courts, and he's not trained in any of this. And he had to sit there and talk to the king and the king's priests and tell them what the Lord was going to do. Easy job, huh? That's Amos. And that's what he had to do. And so he, he walks up there, and he gets ready, and he tells them. But here's what I want you to see here in Amos. He says, verse 2, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion. When you use the word roar, what animal are you conjuring up? What, are you, what is it? If a lion. Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. But here the Lord roars from Zion. What he's saying, he utters his voice from Jerusalem. Look, and, and this is so loud and terrible and awful that the pastures of the shepherds mourn. I mean, this is scalding the pastures. And the top of Carmel withers. Now, Mark, Mark Carmel is north of Jerusalem, north of Tekoa. It's an area where Elijah and had his events happen, but it's a real fertile place, and it's a real beautiful place, and it's a real fragrant place, and it was known as that. And here, what he's saying is this lion is going to roar, the Lord is going to roar, and all of this, the top of Carmel, is going to wither. So here now comes the Lord really quick, quick succession. And I put this up here so you could see it if you can. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I think you can. It says this, the Lord, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus. Do you see it all the way up there? What's Damascus in? What country? Syria. That's exactly right. And Syria and um, uh, Israel were having problems, right? And about this time or soon thereafter, the Lord is going to have an enemy come, an enemy of Syria, and defeat them. And they're going to get, you know, wiped out at the time. Now, they're not wiped out completely because they're still at Damascus. But I want you to see this. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. He's going to say this now several times in a row. This is the formula that the Lord has given him. Because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. Do you see Ramoth Gilead right up there in the pink? See how close it is to Damascus? All you need to know is that the people of Syria kept dipping in to the uh, borders of Israel and treating them beyond poorly. Be the reason I know that is, is because in 1 Kings, God said to the people up there that he was going to actually use Syria to sort of bring judgment against them, but apparently Syria got too big for its britches and went became out of order in being very violent and very cruel because it says here they threshed Gilead with implements of iron. And it, it draws those pictures of a threshing floor where, you know, the wheat and the chaff would be cut and they had a special shovel or a rake-like thing 
that sort of had, I don't even know if they had iron, but more like iron stuff on the bottom that would sort of like uh, act as a cheese grater. It wasn't a cheese grater, but it would knock off the bad stuff and keep the good stuff. And you had a rake, and so you would be skinning it. You get it? And then, you know this, they, it would be on this pad, and they would throw it in the air, and the wind would come, and it would blow away the chaff, and the good stuff would fall down. And the picture here he's saying is, you dip down in there, and you became very violent and cruel towards my people. So I'm going to send a fire first in the house of Heziel, which is going to devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad, and I'll also break the gate of Damascus, okay? And cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon, and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. The people of Syria shall go captive to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions, of Gaza or Philistia. If you have the new King James or the King James, it might say Philistia. There were five key cities, Ashdod, Ashkelon, uh, Gaza, Ekron, and uh, that's the five, yes. Uh, in, in Philistia, who are the Philistines? Make sure you know this. The Philistines aren't indigenous to Philistia. See where it says Gaza right there? The Philistines came over the Mediterranean from the Greek Isles. They're a seafaring people. And I see some puzzled looks on your faces. So I want you to come up after and ask me, because why would I bring that up? Why does that make a difference? Because there's some people there who I love, by the way, who claim that that's their land. And they're not even the people who are called Philistines. You don't get it yet, do you? There's this thing in the uh, uh, Middle East where the Palestinians and the Israelis are fighting over all kinds of territories. And the Palestinians say, that's our land. Well, Philist Philistia, people from Philistine aren't Palestinians. You getting that yet? They came from Greece. And so there's this thing going on in the Middle East. But the point I want to tell you is these people were always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. Now, I want you to see something. Where's Damascus? Up there. Where's Gaza? Down there. So here comes Mark, take a pencil and go from Damascus to Gaza and hold that. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity. They took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. We don't know the whole story here. We don't know exactly what happened. But for some reason, they enslaved and sold captives and delivered them to the Edomites. They participated in so some sort of slave trade. Ezekiel actually, in chapter 26, refers to this also as something that the Philistines did that was repugnant to the Lord, that he didn't like. I don't know the whole story because the whole story's not told in the Bible, but apparently it was bad. I'm going to send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces, and I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, uh, cut off the uh, 
uh, inhabitant from Ashdod, and the one who holds the scepter from Eshkelon, I'm going to turn my hand against Ekron. And no, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. Now, here we go. We got number three. For three transgressions of Tyre. Now, watch on your map. Damascus, Gaza. Look where Tyre is. All the way up to the left on the coast, call in the area called Phoenicia. Well, Tyre now uh, did some things. And what did they do? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to turn away its punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Eden and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood, but I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre. So they did something very similar to uh, the Philistines. They participated in some sort of slave trade or selling of people and watch, they broke some sort of covenant that they made and the Lord wasn't happy about it. And so because of that, he sent fire upon the wall of Tyre. And actually, uh, judgment came against Tyre. We know this in 332 BC when Alexander the Great wiped Tyre off the map. Uh, in fact, in Ezekiel 26, it says, and this is still true to this day, it's a place where the fishermen will just dry their nets. It was no more. Okay. How about this one? For three transgressions of Edom... Look where Edom is, folks. Take a pencil from Damascus to Gaza and go foomp, and then take a, ta a pencil from Tyre to Edom, and what do you have? X marks the spot. You got an X right there. He's, he's doing some sort of pattern here. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Now, you always remember this. If you start to remember this, this Old Testament will start coming to life for you if you'll just remember this. Every time you come to some of these names, remember who they are. Who are the Edomites? Well, they come from Esau. Jacob and Esau, all the way back in Genesis 25. The younger kid, Jacob, gets the blessing. And Esau sells his birthright. You know all this. And so Esau... Uh, you, you know, uh, chases him and tries to get him and kill him and all that sort of thing. And they have this great rivalry. And the tribes come from who? From Jacob or from Esau? They come, you know, through Jacob and then Israel. You, you know this. So they are a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And you, you remember this. Uh, the Edomites uh, had this thing in Numbers where they wouldn't let the Jews go through their area to get up into the place of Canaan. Remember that? And the Lord, he was furious about that. Remember that? So, Edom, because he pursued his brother with the sword, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, his anger tore perpetually. Does that sound pretty serious? Well, it should be pretty serious, and here's how I know it must have been pretty serious, and so do you. And guess what? It's going to help you learn the prophets. The entire book of Obadiah, the entire book, guess how long it is? Yeah, it's you're right, one chapter. The entire book of Obadiah is about this verse. Obadiah prophesies... You'll, you'll never forget Obadiah. It's one chapter, and he prophesies against the Edomites. 
And it's because of what they did here, whatever it is they did. The Lord was upset about it. And you can read more about it in Obadiah, and we will in a few weeks. And I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. And thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon, look up there, Ammon, we're going to go now Ammon and Moab. Ammon or Ammon, however you want to say it, what is that country now? Jordan. And what's the capital of Jordan? Ammon. So there you see it. But anyway, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment uh, because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead. They came into the territory where the people of God were. Do you see that? And they killed pregnant women. Why? So that they would enlarge their territory. It was a border war. They put people behind territory. They put future lives of kids and their mothers before the borders. Sound familiar? It's happening right now in, the, in uh, Europe. It's exactly what's happening. Here, he says, they ripped open the women of the child in Gilead that they might enlarge their uh, territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, that's the capital, and it shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity he and his princes together, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four. There you see Moab. I will not turn away its punishment. Why? Because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Don't ask me. I know what you're thinking. I don't know exactly. But there's something about desecrating the past and people. I don't know why the Lord was so upset about this, but he was. Edom's <laughs> one of the others that are cursed here or had of judgment, but he is. The Lord's mad about it. But you do know this, right? How do you, who are Moab, who are the Ammonites and who are the Moabites? Where'd they come from? If you know this, it's going to unlock a lot of the Old Testament. They are dis, huh? They're from Lot. They're from an incestuous relationship with, uh, between a daughter and Lot, and it happened in Genesis 19, and they become uh, enemies of of the Israelites all throughout the Bible, and here they are sitting right there up against the border, Ammon and Moab. And the Lord's not happy with them. Here he says, I'm going to send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kerioth. Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and triumph uh, uh, Sound or in trumpet sound, and I will cut off the judge from its mist and slay all its princes with him, says the Lord. And then you're like, you know, can you imagine now? Now I want you to reset the scene. Here I am, I'm Amos, and I have a burden. And I'm just a simple farmer and a sheep tender, and the Lord's called me to go to Bethel. Okay, Lord, where are we going to go? Well, I need you to go right up there to where they set up the uh, golden calves and the sort of the shrine that they have there. And I want you to go right up there to the high priest. And I want you to go 
right up there to the king. Okay, what do you want me to say, Lord? And he goes, well, I want you to tell them about the judgments against all the people around the country, you know, the country as we know it. I want you to just go up there and tell them about all those people. Well, fine, Lord, that sounds good to me, but hold on now. I, I got two more for you here, Amos. I want you to also tell them why I'm going to punish the southern kingdom of Judah. Hmm. Wait a minute, Lord. I'm from Judah. We're not as bad as, I don't know that Amos ever said this, but I'm certainly thinking it. We're not as bad, and many of the people who live there thought it. We're not as bad as the people in the north. Why would you be punishing us? But if you're receiving the news from Amos, and you're the king or the false priest, listen, you're probably going, told you. I know there's some other uh, prophets who've been, you know, sort of swirling around telling us how off kilter we are, but we knew it all along. It was Judah. It was the southern kingdom. And here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have, well, look, watch. They have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. And then it says, their lies lead them astray. And now this next sentence here, in my Bible, it's in italics. And the reason it's in italics, it does mean lies, which their fathers followed. But it's a strange phrase in the Hebrew that may mean idolatry. In other words, idols lie to you. You don't like the truth. You've, you've not listened to me about keeping my word. And when that happens... It sort of disintegrates to the place where you're going to have a, you know, a thing to worship. It's me. I hope it's me, the Lord says. I want you to worship me. But the way in which you're going to do that is you're going to love the law. Are you getting this? You're going to fall in love with my word. And for those who don't, They're going to start to believe the lies. In other words, they're going to replace worship of me with worship of other things. Like here, I'll give you some. Relationships. Hobbies. Power, money, 401ks, little house on the hill, Instagram photos, Martha Stewart uh, entertaining, and you could just go on and on in America. It's just rampant. We have everything that can be an idol, right? But here he says, uh, they didn't love my law, and they've not kept the commandments. It's not that they just didn't read my law. They didn't keep my law. By the way, you can read about this in Romans. How do we, as spirit-filled Christians, keep the law? We walk by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We, we have the Lord fill us up. It says it in Romans. That's how we fulfill the law. We walk by the Spirit. We don't walk according to the flesh. So that means now when the person comes up and criticizes you and tells you you're terrible and all that sort of thing, you say, oh, you're just praying the whole time. Lord, you, you not me. Let me fade away here because I want to give it to him. Lord, help me to love this person. 
Help me to bear along with this person. That's how we fulfill. But here he said they didn't love the word and that made them flip from worshiping him to worshiping a lie. Better be careful about the word. That's what we stress here, right? We want to stress the word. Do we like experiences with the Lord? Of course, but it better match up with the word. The word is our, 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 our guide. He, he's given it to us lovingly. But I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. And that certainly happened in 586 B.C. Well, they must be feeling good up in the courts as Amos is there. Hey, Amos, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Hold on. I got one more. And in fact, Amos may have said, it's the longest judgment. Oh, really? Okay, well, who could it possibly be against? Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel. Can you imagine what happened when he said it? In the palace of the king or in the area of the king in the place in which he put up the golden calf in the place which he made worship convenient so you wouldn't have to go back in the place in which uh, it was set up there in a sense because of uh, jealousy Jeroboam this, uh, and that crew they didn't want those people to go back to Jerusalem they wanted them to worship there they were jealous for them stay here with us that's what happens when people that listen when people compromise that's what happens they always want you to compromise with them to make them feel better. And that's what was going on too. And here, here he, uh, he comes against Israel for four. I will not turn away because, look, they sell righteous for silver. They're coveting things. They're oppressing the poor and the poor for a pair of sandals. Here you go. This religious thing that's happening up here in Israel in the northern kingdom, it's not really about the Lord, the Lord says. What it's about is about taking advantage of people. Ay, yay, ay, that's American TV. And they're selling the righteous for the poor or for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. And they pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. I mean, they want everything from them, and they pervert the way of the humble. And I know we're in mixed company, but you've got to get to the full effects about this next sentence, because the Bible doesn't hold back. The Lord doesn't hold back when he's angry. Listen to what he says here. A man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. There's an implication here, what the Lord's saying that, is that men fathers and sons were having intimate relations with a temple prostitute in the temple areas and they lie down by every altar. Listen to this, how the Lord put this together. They're lying down by the altars on the clothes that were taken in pledge. See, there's an Old Testament law that says, if a poor person gives me their cloak, I got to give it back by midnight. You can't keep on to it. And what the Lord is saying, he's fed up here. He's saying this. Your community is thinking that it's okay now. You've come this far that you're having a father and a son have temple prostitute sex in the temple areas that you call the temple. It's not really the temple. And it defiles my holy name because you associate here with God or this stuff with me, the Lord's saying. They even lie down here in the altars 
on clothes, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. They're partying while they do it. That's Israel. That's what Israel had become. In just a couple hundred years, from Saul to David to Solomon, and down and down and down, all the way till you get here. And he says, wait a minute, don't you remember? It was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars. And he was as strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. These are the people who were in Canaan when they were coming into the promised land. Also, it was I, the Lord says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I mean, think about it. Out of all of that and the Passover and all that and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets, Elijah and Elisha and Joel. And I've sent them here and they're, and, and I've had them say things to you. I've raised up prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. You people know here, he's saying to the Israelites, you know the vow of the Nazarite. You know about Samson. You know that they weren't to shave their uh, hair and they, they weren't to take from the grape. They weren't to drink wine and they weren't to touch dead animals and, and the other things. And so you know about that. And is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But look, you, you, the religious people, you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. And you commanded the prophets saying, don't prophesy. In other words, we don't want you here. What you're saying is too hard and difficult. And we don't want you uh, criticizing or saying this is sin. Folks, this is America that we're talking about. We don't want people to talk about what's sin and what's not sin. We don't really want to follow the Bible in all ways. We do. Other churches do. But there's a lot of churches out here who take what the Bible says and they just eliminate it so that they can have their agenda in their churches. And do things that the Lord's not happy about. You say, don't prophesy. Quit saying things about it. Why can't you just all get along? The Lord, through Amos, says this, Behold, I'm weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. It's a reference, I think, to the, how they were going to be crushed by their own, by the weight of their own sin. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not um, stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day says the Lord. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that judgment, 
begins in the house of the Lord. It would be easy to stand up here and say, you see that stuff, I mean, you know, on TV and those people and how immoral those people are. I'm using quotes around those people. You know how terrible that is and all that sort of thing? Well, you know what the Bible says? God says that judgment starts at the house of the Lord. Where we stop making excuses that, you know, I always use the one, well, I'm Irish, so I have an anger problem. No, you're not Irish to have an anger problem. You're a sinner. What, what if, what if uh, just the churches started actually calling sin a sin? What if we started looking in our own hearts first, our own hearts? You see, if you study every revival or every awakening, every single one of them are based on this, a burden over sin. Not somebody else's sin, like, oh, look at those people. Our own sin, like personally. A desire to be more like Christ. And to confess our sins one to another, not in some inappropriate way with TMI. We don't do that, but I'm just saying in, in the healthy way, in the good way. What if, what if we did that? And what, what if we stopped saying to our own self, Lord, I don't want to hear about that in my life. <laughs> I used to say it with money issues. Every time I, listen, I'm the baby of the family. I thought money grew on trees. I just grew up and my dad gave me money and I just, nah, 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 nah. well, I don't know if I'd say wow, but <laughs> we, were, we weren't that rich, but we weren't rich. We were, but what I'm saying is, you know, when I became an adult, I, did, I didn't even know. I mean, I just thought somebody was going to take care of it and then, you know, I was going to retire when I was 62 and the money would be there. That's just sort of how I thought. You might be laughing, but that's just the way it was. And I remember I'd put my head in the sand. If there came a sermon about money, I'd turn that off. And I'm the pastor. And maybe there's something in your life when the pastor's teaching about it or preaching about it or you hear it on the radio. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's idols in your life. I don't know. Maybe it's that. Maybe the Lord's trying to say something to you to either take something out of your life or, listen, put something into your life. Maybe he's doing that. And maybe for all these years you've been saying, ah, don't prophesy. What if it, we just said, Lord, whatever it is, if you want to talk to me about money, talk to me about money or gossip or relationships or idols or my insecurities, or my hatred, or my unforgiveness. I don't care. Whatever it is, Lord, you talk to me about it and help me do it. And then what if we did it? By the way, the other part of revival and awakening, a burden for sin, but it's a burden to pray for people and to stand in the gap with people, and it's a coming together with other denominations or whatever, uh, being unified in prayer. And so that's one. But what if we did that? What if we didn't get to the place where we were blind to our, you know, had our own blind spots and judgment began in the house of the Lord? What if we could say this, and I'll close on this. You know, sometimes when we're praying, we just pray. You, you know, when we do corporate prayer, we, 
we pray like this. Lord, we just pray that you do such a mighty work up and down the Monongahela River and all the places that we live that you'd have to come in and do newspaper articles about some of the places that are closing down and other things that the people are doing. And it just, Lord, just a revival. Spread it like wildfire up and down this river. We pray like that, but in order for that to happen, we could sit here and we could point the finger at Moab and Ammon and all the different ones. And Lord saying, but wait a second, what about us? So let's do this. Let's pray as we finish up here, chapter 2. And if there's something in your heart, we'll pray about it right now. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you. Maybe you've been uh, inappropriately angry at somebody or unforgiving towards someone or you've, I don't know, or you've been a gossiper or, or something. I don't know. You're harboring hatred. Here in the next minute, two minutes, as we bow our heads and I pray, why don't you just give it over to the Lord? Why don't we all just call sin, sin, starting in our own lives? Here, let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to you and we, we are, we're grateful because you paid for our sins and they are forgiven. So we know that and we're free and we love that and we are celebrating that and we celebrate that on Resurrection Day, but we celebrate it every day and it's such a blessing. And yet, Lord, you called us to pursue holiness. And so if that's the case, you're asking us to cooperate with you. We know that, Lord, to become more Christ-like. In order to do that, Lord, I think what the Bible tells us is we need to be, uh, our vessels need to be, you know, sort of wiped clean. And so each of us here, as we've been thinking over that, starting with me, uh, thinking over these things, starting with me, Lord, we're going to lay this, these things, this thing at your feet, whatever it is, Lord, that's holding us back. Lord, help us with it. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Help us to live in an extraordinarily supernatural, loving way, forgiving way, truthful way in a world that has none of it. Help us to be strong because we are weak, Lord. We're so thankful when we're weak or bummed out, you say, great, now I can use you. <laughs> so help us. Then, Lord, as we confess these sins to you that we have in our lives, Lord, we pray that you'd fill us up to go share our, your love and light with a dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.